morning. It's an honor to be up here in front of all of you to bring a message from God's Word on this Sunday of the Christmas season. One of my favorite movies to watch during the Christmas season is the movie of The Polar Express. I don't know if you have seen it, but The Polar Express tells the story of a young man who's disillusioned with the idea of Christmas. He's coming to the mature realization that one man couldn't possibly fly all over the world and deliver presents to all the boys and girls of the world. As he's laying in bed that night, he's awoken to the sound of a train whistle and a magical train pulling up to the front of his house and a conductor stepping off the train and looking at him and saying, well, you coming? To the North Pole is where the train is headed. And after some hesitation, our main character steps aboard the train and is whisked off on an adventure to the North Pole where he sees Santa, elves, and all sorts of magical things that he can't explain. And along the way, our young protagonist learns this valuable lesson that sometimes seeing is believing. But sometimes the most real things in life are the things that we can't see. This movie highlights, I think, one of the most fundamental parts of being a human being, and that is that we like to lay our eyes on things before we believe them. We like to see things, whether it's Santa, something sketchy we're buying on Facebook Marketplace or a crazy video. We like to see the thing before we buy whatever it is someone is selling. And I think that maybe it's hard for us to admit, but sometimes we get like this in our faith. It's hard to buy into something that we've never seen with our own eyes. And I think God knows this about us. That's why he's shown himself to us not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical way as well. He knows that we, like the young man on the Polar Express, can tend towards skepticism about things that we don't understand. It's for this reason that you and I must continually open our eyes to Jesus anew. Because when we do this, the Holy Spirit confirms in us who Christ is. God has shown his love to us. And now we must respond to it. Our passage that we're going to be looking at this morning comes from the book of Luke in the second chapter. The second chapter of Luke, of course, being where we get the birth narrative. Well, after the birth narrative, we get this account of Mary and Joseph heading to the temple in Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the new mother. So let's open to Luke chapter 2 and begin with verse 22. It's on page 725 of your pew Bibles. And I'll ask you this morning to keep that Bible open or keep a finger in it to save your place because we're going to be going back to this passage over the next couple of verses. And I'd love it if you'd follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated 
to the Lord. And they went to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph, we can tell from this passage, they were devout Jews. As such, they wanted to keep the law of Moses. And the the law of Moses was pretty clear that when a, a woman gave birth to a child, that she was designated as unclean. And so going to make this sacrifice in the temple, Mary and Joseph gather up their newborn baby Jesus and they head off for Jerusalem. Leviticus 12 says that a mother can be made clean by offering a sacrifice. As a side note, you'll notice in our text that it says that um, they offer two birds as a sacrifice. In actuality, Leviticus says that you were supposed to offer a lamb and a bird. But the law of Moses provided exceptions for the poor amongst the Israelites. And so taking their two birds, they offered their sacrifice. Jesus, the king of all creation, was born to a family of limited means. As we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we can see that God makes his love clear in his law. God shows his love to his people through his law. God's law detailed out for people how they might be in relationship with God. It was a system of sacrifices and rituals that helped people to be in that right relationship with God that they were designed for. Humankind's relationship with God, after all, is the foundation that the entire biblical story is built on. In the Garden of Eden, we have this perfect relationship with God. But then sin entered, and with sin, death, and our relationship was broken and in need of repairing. And and God's law helped to patch that problem, but it was an incomplete salvation. We can see this in Mary's sacrifice that she goes to make, right? Because she has to make that sacrifice every time she gives birth to a child. For the Israelites to maintain the kind of relationship with God that they were meant to have, they would have to make sacrifice after sacrifice, working to save themselves. So while even though the law is God's grace on display for us, we know that the law is not enough to save. Israel, like all of humanity, was caught in this cycle of sin, sacrifice, renewed relationship, repeat. Sin, sacrifice, renewed relationship, repeat. God had shown his love to his people in the law, but they were in need of a permanent solution to their sin problem. They held on to God's promise, of course, for a Messiah, a Savior, but when would they come? We're going to continue in Luke chapter 2 with verse 25 where we read about a man who had been watching and waiting for this true salvation. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon, according to Luke, was a devout and a righteous man. This kind of man would have been familiar with the prophecies that had foretold of a coming Messiah. Simeon was waiting and watching for this Messiah, and in many ways was kind of the picture of the ideal Israelite. Someone who was familiar with what God had done in the past, and yet was open to the surprising ways in which God would act in the future. Up until now, God's love could be seen in his sacrificial system and the law. But Simeon, thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, seemed to know that things would be different now. Yes, in his arms was the consolation, is the word the Bible uses, of Israel. Here was the comfort of Israel that they had been waiting on in his arms for him to see. This baby was God showing his love to Israel in a new way. No more would God's people have to rely on sacrifice after sacrifice to save themselves, trying to follow the law perfectly. And yet, Simeon points out that this baby, this salvation that he saw, was not just for God's people alone. Look back at verse 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You and I get the benefit of knowing the rest of this story. That young baby would grow in wisdom and understanding. This was God in human flesh who would grow to take on the weight of sin and death through Jesus' death and resurrection. Anyone who believes could enter into this relationship with God that they were designed to have. Jesus was light to the Gentiles. And Simeon also says that Jesus is the glory of Israel. By saying this, Simeon is sort of calling back to the promises that God made to Abraham that Abraham's family would bless all the nations of the earth. Remember, in the Old Testament, God made a number of promises to Abraham, which included descendants and land. And this baby was God making good to send a Savior through Abraham's line. God's plan was to bring a Savior through a specific people. This Savior being necessary because we can't save ourselves. Simeon had seen the way that his people were working to save themselves and never achieving the salvation that they were looking for. Thanks to the Holy Spirit of God, Simeon understood that this was a salvation moment 
like no other. This baby in his arms was a salvation moment like nobody had witnessed before. Have you ever seen an incredible saving moment? Maybe it's a video of a mother catching a toddler right before they fall out of a chair or a good Samaritan preventing a robbery. Believe it or not, we see salvation moments all the time. Auburn fans will remember Chris Davis standing in the end zone and catching a field goal and running it back in the final seconds of the game to win the game for the Auburn Tigers. Alabama fans don't have to think too far back to when Milrow let the ball fly on fourth down, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Do you remember what it felt like to win those games for your team? I'm sure when your team won, there was no shortage of celebration, no shortage of jumping up and down and cheering this salvation that this person had just accomplished for your team. As Simeon sat there holding Jesus in his arms, he deeply realized the salvation he was witnessing with his own eyes. God was showing his love to his people in a new way. Luke says that Simeon praised God. He couldn't help it. He couldn't help but responding to this great sight. God's glory had come down to earth. And yet something else is clear to Simeon. As he is holding this baby in his arms, he realizes that Jesus and his birth would demand a response from people. Let's continue with verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what Simeon said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon says that the thoughts and the minds of people will be laid bare when they come into contact with Jesus. Jesus would cause the rising of some and the falling of others based on their responses to him. One commentator points out that even in this moment of scripture, the attention is focused on the personal nature of the crisis that Jesus will provoke. It is no longer the superficial distinctions of race or class that will make the difference, but the quality of the individual's response to God and God's call in Jesus for a personal decision. If you believe that God really does and has shown his love to us, how are you responding? There's one other person that we can learn from in this passage. Continuing with verse 36. There in the temple was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Here we find Anna, yet another devout believer who was waiting and watching for the Messiah. She offers for us a model of someone who had looked for God's love, and when she encountered it, she responds to it. Anna constantly prayed and worshipped in the temple, and when the moment arrived where she would see Jesus, she couldn't help but go and tell others about his significance and the redemption that was to come. You and I could learn a lot about responding to Jesus from Anna. Talking to other people about our faith can be very daunting. I sometimes wish that I had more courage than I often do to speak about the things that I believe with others. Some things are just harder to talk about, I guess. I remember the night of the most recent Iron Bowl. I was watching it at my family's house up in Coleman, Alabama, where my parents lived, and I had left in the middle of the fourth quarter because it seemed like things were pretty wrapped up. And I was on the road and uh, listening to the game on my iPhone, which was my first mistake because my phone was a couple of plays behind on a delay. And all of a sudden, I start getting text messages dinging on my phone. Oh my goodness, what is happening? I can't believe this. I was getting text messages from Alabama and Auburn fans alike. They had seen something unbelievable. And when we see something like this, we talk about it to anyone who will listen, right? We'll talk about it for weeks, months. The truth that we need to receive this morning is that we have seen God's love on display in Christ. And now we must respond to it. Through him, you and I have been saved out of the darkness of sin and into the glorious light of salvation. Anyone who believes can be set back in that relationship with God that we were supposed to enjoy. Do you remember your moment? Of salvation. When's the last time you told anyone about it? Does it still carry the same excitement and celebration that it did? I asked myself the same question this week. Because if it doesn't, I believe that we need to take some time this morning to remember what our lives were like before Jesus, remembering that we had no hope except in this baby. And we have one year until the next time we think about Jesus taking on human flesh and coming to earth. And I want to encourage you not to wait until Christmas to remember Jesus anew. Today, as we leave, I want to encourage you to be like Simeon. To marvel at the newborn baby who was not just the salvation of ourselves, but the light to all of the world. Be like Anna. Talk to anyone who will listen about the momentous occasion that was your salvation and the significance of this baby, Jesus. Open your eyes to Jesus anew. God has shown us his love, and now we must respond.
Let's pray. Father, give us the courage to respond to what you have done in Jesus. As we await another Christmas season, let us not wait until the next December to remember what it is that you have done. Thank you for your love that you have shown to us in Christ. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This morning we will respond by singing songs to the Lord. So if you will, stand with us.